To support our work at the Izzy and Murtada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show and you will get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up for Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. Hi, I'm Mortada. And I'm Izzy. And this is the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show. Welcome to a new episode, our second in January. We're going to talk about a film today, All of Us Strangers, that I've, if you follow me on social media, you already know that I called it my favorite movie of the year. Um, I love it so much. And Izzy and I are very happy to welcome to the podcast another fantastic critical voice, our friend Carl De Los Santos of Smash Cut Reviews and the New York Times to talk to us about all of us strangers and what he thought of the film. Carl and I, I think, saw it together. I've seen it so many times, but I definitely saw it with you, right? You did. And hello, thank you for having me finally. I've been waiting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did. We saw it together in the, uh, the New York film festival press screening that um felt like a funeral after leaving but we can get to that <laughs> yes yes um yeah this movie um has quite an ending so if you haven't seen it we're going to be spoiling so maybe you want to go see it um i know it's already out in most places if not in most places in america anyway um and then come back but we are also going to talk a little bit about since this is our last episode before the Oscars, at the end, um, we're going to talk about, you know, what we wish will happen next Tuesday. We're not going to deep dive in it. It's just a couple of wishes from each one of us about what they hope will be recognized next week. So if you want to hear that, maybe just fast forward to the end of the podcast. Um, and you don't want to listen to all of a stranger's spoilery um, talk. But first, before all of that, I want to say that I am hosting an event in New York on the, what day is it? On the 30th, is it? Yes, on Tuesday the 30th in New York, it's called Cheers Cinema, the Sudanese Night. So as you all know, I'm from Sudan and Sudan has been enmeshed in this terrible war since April of last year with millions of people displaced and millions of people dead. And um, there is no end in sight for it but instead of and that's what's in the news about sudan so the idea behind this evening is sudan is not just the war sudan is the people and the culture and so we're going to show one short film called a sit which means mistress in arabic um and that is directed by Susanna Mirani. And then we're going to show you will die at 20 which is a feature film directed by amjad abulela um, and that was um, the Sudanese entry into the Oscars, I think, four years ago. Um, so those two movies um, on January the 30th go to Cheers, Cheers Cinema, the Sudanese night. Um, and we'll put the link um, in this podcast. If you are a listener of the podcast and you're in New York, I would love to see you there. I'm going to be introducing the films. And we're trying to see if one of the filmmakers will be able to come there. Neither, neither of them are both in New York. 
neither of them are based in New York, so we'll see what we can do to make it happen, but we'll definitely have something uh, there is a reception and we're trying to see what we can do after the screening so carl izzy hopefully i'll see you there and listeners hopefully i'll see you there too um okay all of us strangers um so this is the feature film from andrew hay it's his third movie after weekend and 45 years he also did um loving the hbo queer show that was on the air for um, a few years. And when I think of Andrew Hay, I think of him as somebody who does two things really well. He knows how to talk about relationships, whether relationships that are new, like in Weekend, um, or relationships that, you know, a marriage falling apart after 45 years, which was 45 years. Um, and I think what he does in All of Us Strangers is he brings those two together. So the film to me played as these two relationships, one exactly like Weekend, um, a new love affair of two people meeting, and that's the characters played by Andrew Scott and P Paul Mescal. And then the other story is about Andrew Scott and his parents, played by Claire Foy and Jamie Bell. They died when they were in their mid-30s, and he was 12 years old. And now as a 45-year-old man, years later, somehow metaphysically, um, it's never explained, he gets to go back to his childhood home and have the conversations that he never had with his parents because they died when he was so young, including coming out, including letting them know what has happened to him in the 30 years since they died. Um, and so, um, so this is the plot of the film. It's just these four actors just breaking our hearts. So Carl, since you're our guest, let's start with you. Give us sort of like your high um, highlight of what you think of the film before we dig deep into it. That's kind of a hard question because I think I've gone on a journey with this film. And because we saw it together, I think you know my journey with the film. <laughs> yes, that's um, why I asked you here. <laughs> no, I think I. I mean, I think it's honestly I'm maybe the the best person to 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 be here because I'm kind of in this middle road spot. So when I first saw the movie, I felt you know, I was very excited. Weekend is one of my favorite movies of probably the century. I'm one of the few people that stuck with looking through all three seasons, um, and then. Um, this came out and I was a little disappointed in how um, precious it felt about the subject. It kind of told me, it kind of continually told me exactly what it was throughout the movie, uh, which is not always a bad thing. I think movies don't have to be opaque to be poignant, but I think it went against the very subtle, uh, subtle writing that Hay usually goes for. The second time I watched it, um, I found a different take on the um the frame of the movie and maybe we could we can talk about that at some point mm -hmm. um and that flipped my 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 perception of it and how it feels um the kind of surrealness of it hit a little bit more allowing me to lose myself and I really enjoyed it and I felt more moved by it and mm -hmm. then watching it before doing this podcast um I think after hearing a couple or you know talking being with my family for for the holidays um <laughs> i think it was even more poignant at point. and so uh i think it's i think it's a movie that is very 
that knows what it's trying to say, says it very clearly and is very touching um, when you're able to buy into it. Mm. Um, and whether or not you can buy into it, I think it's just kind of subjective experience. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean, there is an ask. Um, I think what you're yeah. saying is that there is an ask to sort of like dive into it. Izzy, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I sort of noticed when I was watching it, there was a point where I realized that I had to buy into it, that it wasn't just going to be kind of this straightforward story of, um, you know, this guy living his life, meeting new people, et cetera, et cetera. Because I didn't really know anything about it going in. I was told that was the best way to do it. Um, yeah. So I followed that advice. And um, when I realized I kind of had to buy into it, I started thinking of it more as like a play <laughs> because I feel like sometimes these kind of conceits where like you go in and out of um, time and uh, meet characters who aren't with us anymore happen a lot on stage. And um, for some reason that framing or that conceit helped me like follow it and believe in it. Um, and I really loved it. I thought... Uh, that, that's kind of a, the kind of film I like. And I think you're right on that. It's kind of like your mileage will vary based mm -hmm. on how much you want to buy into it. Um, but I always have loved like those kind of films that really blend realism and, and, and like light fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, so you're in the real world, but something is a little off or not right or possible. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, um, surprising at the time and I think just made it all the more special to me because it's just not something a lot of filmmakers are doing right now um or it's not something that is used throughout it is something that is kind of like revealed at the end as yeah. like that's the trick you know <laughs> yeah. so um so yeah I really loved it I thought it was um a really interesting construction yeah so we'll talk about the end but maybe at the end because I think that was the thing when 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 I saw it, that was the thing that maybe um, I was not 100% buying into. But um, to me, this movie, yes, it is metaphysical. There are things that it does ask of you that you have to buy. And so I agree with what both of you are saying. But to me, the emotions of this movie rang very true. Like both emotions um, about all the things that you want to say to your parents, but you never get the chance to say it, even if they were alive. And if, even if, you know, you had all the time that you wanted to have with them, there are things that prohibit us from doing that, especially, I think this movie is also very specific. It's just about a particular experience of gay men who grew up during the AIDS crisis, um, who are of a certain age right now, whose parents are of a certain age, born in the 40s and 50s, and they were going through this social change. So it's it's very specific in that, because as you know, the, the, the book is about a straight love story. Uh, it's set in Japan, but he changed that and made it about a gay love story and set it in exactly the time frame of his lifetime. Um, and I think this is why, to me, it rang really very specific. And even if, you know, um, even if you're not that age, what I really was moved by is the love story between him and his parents. And that really moved me is that, you know, a lot of gay men have that father, that one who's a little bit macho, who's a little bit disappointed in you because you're not, you know, you're a swishy queer um, and how sometimes they get over that. They don't. My dad died before we could get over that. Um, 
And, you know, and everyone has this relationship with their mom who understand you more than your dad, but also um, there is a little bit of disappointment in that why couldn't you just be straight or be what I want you to be, whatever, whatever that is. Like, so even if you're not gay, like there is that thing of the parents of, you know, especially mothers are wanting you to be that thing. Um, whatever it is in that straight, a doctor, whatever. It's all kind of part of the same things. My mom had both those things and I disappointed her in both. <laughs> so <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast, but maybe she should listen to this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this movie from the very beginning, it rang very personal to me and I'm going to spoil a little bit. I wish that I that my mom gave me what, Claire Foy does at the end of this film when she says you're a kind and gentle boy um I think a lot of people want to hear that from their mothers and the first time I saw this movie I broke down and I cried at that because I thought that I never actually got this from my mom but then I went back and realized she did say something to me this summer where she said something like um you're my son I don't want to change you and we can just move on because she is still a homophobe um, anyway, I'm getting too personal, but this is what I mean. This movie is very specific. It's very personal um, to me, at least. And that's why I love it. So I'm going to stop talking about myself and we can talk about the film. <laughs> no, but I think you kind of can't almost can't talk about the movie without talking about yeah. yourself. Yeah. It does feel, you know, be, my problem with it was the broad strokes, but I think the broad strokes allow multiple ways of entry into mm -hmm. the movie. Um, I think you know, my relationship with my mother is very different in that she's not homophobic. Like she, half of her siblings are gay. Like it was, it's not shocking that I was gay. And so, but the, the, what you kind of were getting at is like the, the, the disappointment, the disappointment that your life is not going to be completely easy is almost mm -hmm. the, yeah the big, the big yeah. problem is that misunderstanding mm -hmm. between, um, you know, choosing a life that feels authentic and choosing an easy life i guess mm -hmm, even though yeah. you know your queerness is not a choice um and i think the movie um gets to that or uh, strikes a a match for that theme really well in claire foy's character um particularly and then i think kind of in, enhances it with what jamie bell is doing with his character because i think what's what's also interesting about the father character is that he's actually more sympathetic in mm -hmm. a way yeah. than Claire Foy, or at the very least has, you know, come to an understanding before, before she did. Um, and so it's kind of almost a subversion of what we are typically mm -hmm. used to. Um, and the movie Maybe she, those... because she had more expectations, I would say. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's almost like they think of it almost as love too. Mm -hmm. Like she has so much love for her son, for Andrew mm -hmm. Scott's character that she thinks, you know, being, I wish it was just easier for you is a, a statement of love mm -hmm. where it's actually kind of not the opposite, but it's, you know, it's, it's pushing away with what, what you actually are and who you actually are. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really salient point. I think, I, I think sometimes it feels like we get, I think the movie, I think the first time I saw it, it felt a little bit like okay we've seen this story about these parents before but i actually don't think we have mm -mm. it's it's getting to a very um a broad but specific uh experience or emotion at the very it, it's mm -hmm. pulling us for an emotion rather than a certain experience mm -hmm. uh, which i think is you know part of buying into it yeah 
Yes. One of the things that kind of struck me, just kind of observing the discourse around it online, um, is how there wasn't really a backlash to it, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like a lot of other films that have come out recently that specific target specifically target gay men as an audience or like use them as like the framing device for the queer storyline it have gone through this moment of ridicule or um problematizing online Mm. or kind of trying to pick it apart or like make fun of it uh and that never really happened for this movie so i do feel like in some sense it must have tapped into something very specific and genuine that some of those other films haven't yeah is that kind of your experience of it um yes I you know I have actually my experience of it is a little different in that yes there is no backlash I agree with you and there are people like me who love it a lot and just think it's the best thing ever but there is also just this this um pushback a little bit and I think the pushback comes either from non-queer people or from younger queer people people in their 20s maybe who don't have who haven't had this experience haven't yet reached the age where like you know they need to like look back and see what their relationship with their parents is and all of that and and so those two groups i feel get hung up on the sort of metaphysical um part of it is like well what's the logic here is paul mescal dead too and if he's dead then what does that mean did this love affair happen and how can he see his parents? you know people get caught up in that when to me that was never the issue it's just like whatever i believe i don't need he doesn't tell you exactly why he can see dead people which is in the end it is the the gay version of i see dead people um, and so you never know that. And to me, that wasn't an issue because the emotions were right there. Like the the love story is a sort of generational love story that also a lot of queer men are in, um, you know, where you are fall in love with someone older. I think in this, he's older by like 15 to 20 years, maybe something like that. And so it's a completely different generation. And, you know, there is that and beautiful scene where they talk about the difference between how they term themselves and you know the older guy says I'm gay and the and the younger guy says I'm queer and what and what that means and and it's beautiful um in that but also there is the the emotions of the parents which was always very clear to me like yes they're dead yes whatever they're younger than him by a decade but like I don't care about all of that because when when they interact with each other you know you see they are his parents his parents and they and he even and this is why the the performance of Andrew Scott is amazing that he kind of becomes a child when he's in their um in their presence even though he is older than them in years um and so I think that's kind of sort of my experience with um with how people have reacted to it but also this movie has I don't think it's out wide yet so or went on a streaming so it didn't get like the May December maestro sort of like backlash of like it goes on Netflix or Peacock or whatever and then everybody sees it in one week and it's like well let me tell you you all fooled me this movie right. is not as good as you said it was <laughs> <laughs> well well I do think I mean honestly I do think the marketing is part of the part of the problem in that it it portrays it as this kind of I was going to say straight romance, not a straight romance, but you know what I mean? Like a, it's like an actual a romance, traditional yeah. romance yeah. where it's a lot more than it's, it's um, actually, I don't think it's a romance almost at all. Like, I think it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's like therapy <laughs> instead. Yeah. 
Um, but I think what you were saying about the kind of general generational divide makes a lot of sense um, in that. And, and honestly, why I think understanding the metaphysical elements actually helped my understanding of the movie a bit more because once you kind of buy into, okay, I had to buy in specifically to the theory, oh, they're all dead. This is limbo. Uh, Andrew Scott died in the 80s during the AIDS crisis. Paul Mescal just died in you know, the 2000s or whatever. Um, and understanding that generational divide actually helped me uh, compartmentalize how each of these characters are thinking, what they're thinking, um, and how... Uh, and specifically, I think the 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 queer loneliness theme, which mm-hmm. I think felt a little too felt really he- heavy handed at first. But then when you add in these really small elements of what it was like to be a gay man in the 80s and growing up during the AIDS crisis, um, I think that adds a- another layer to what it is to be lonely as a gay man. Whereas, you know, my loneliness where I was born in, born in the 90s, where I, I don't ha- have an experience the uh the same kind of oppression oppression mm-hmm. um then felt more relatable to me um in Paul Mescal's character and then understanding the way that these two kind of visions of what queerness is um helps you understand where Andrew Hay is coming from mm-hmm. a bit more um and I honestly I think it was part partially my oversight the first time I watched it, did not understand. Oh, okay, this is, this is, completely surreal. Yeah, um, where I was kind of still had my foot in reality. Um, I but, mean the then, the limbo um, argument. I have not even heard that. Like, um, that's an interesting one. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that I heard that either. Yeah, because you know they are in this sort of like isolated high-rise building in London and they seem to be the only two people living in it so it kind of is a metaphor for limbo but I thought that was more of just like let's make this a chamber drama with just these four people but to me or at least I got it as or the theory that I subscribe to is they're all dead except him and he sees dead people um and uh, and it shows him what could have been from both sides in that what this is what could have been with your parents and this is what could have been if you've opened your heart and let somebody in and that somebody is not it's not going to be easy it's going to be somebody we're all troubled somebody is going to be troubled and they might you know their troubled personality might lead them to suicide or might lead them might make just your life complicated and that's sort of like what love is you know you have to open your heart to someone and take them as they are um and in the end the end is very sad and poignant because Paul Mescal dies and we have that beautiful song from Frankie Goes to Hollywood The Power of Love where he's like you know I'll take your ghost and I'll you know anyway I'm gonna cry again um but it's it's he it's it to me it was a happy ending because he opened his heart now he fell in love and he can fall in love again and he's already had that sort of like closure with his parents which in the end is just and this is another thing i love about this movie is like when he asked him did you talk paul Paul mescal asks him about his parents and he says did you talk and he says no we just spend time together and that's all you need you just need time you need time with the people you love. Um, and I think that's why the ending is so beautiful and poignant. And I, I see him as alive and and ready for, you know, ready for love with an open heart. 
I think, you know, actually, when we're, I remember when we were leaving the screening the first time, and that was what I was kept on getting caught up on is the ending. I was like, why did they have to kill Paul Mescal? And I think <laughs> me, me uh, assigning this, they're all dead <laughs> theory to it is what made me feel better about it because uh, I'm almost thinking about it. I, I, but this kind of the same, the same, um, the same, you know, personal meaning where I think Andrew Scott's character uh, can accept love now despite all these different traumas that he's experienced mm -hmm. um, but I think that's what allows him to float off into the ether and become a star <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> yeah, I think that's the I am just yeah. I'm just choosing to believe they're floating off into whatever and that is and that is it yeah um, yeah I I really liked it as kind of a physicalized version of what it might look like to actually um, resolve trauma because, you know, when people are doing work on themselves or going through their history to figure out, like, how is this affecting me? What decisions am I making day to day that are informed by all of these things that happened to me? Um, it's like, what are you physically doing? Mm. Like nothing, right? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's just so many thoughts racing in your head and and maybe revisiting or looking at a lot of um, old objects or photos, which Andrew Scott's character does. Mm -hmm. Um and so I liked the way that Andrew Hay was able to kind of take that concept and just build it into an actual story with characters that like is in the real world, but is just to basically that like mental process mm -hmm. that a lot of people have to go through to survive. Um, I love that. That's so smart. Yeah. And this is the thing with Andrew Hay, like his films always like I remember all the arguments I had with so many people about the ending of 45 years, like, and he's done it again. And I think, Oh, <laughs> my favorite ending. I love that so much. Yeah, totally. Right. And, but you, but it's also an ending that what's on screen can be interpreted so many ways. And I think he does it again with all of his strangers. I mean, just the three of us have three different sort of takes on the ending, even though we saw the same movie um, and the same things happen. And I think that's, that's why this movie, I think, will live. But also, you know, I'm colored by my love for it. So I just think um, when I love something, I'm like, this movie is going to live forever. So we'll, we'll see if that happens or not. Do either of you have any insight into how this was, like, distributed? Like, to your, I, Murtala, you kind of hinted at it, but well, to your knowledge, has it been seen a lot? Like, I don't know about the return, the box office returns or anything. Um. I think it did. It only opened in New York and LA um, in December because it was like a just December twenty second, so right before Christmas. And I think they are opening it right now other places, but don't quote me on that. Um, but it looks like it's not out in the UK yet. Yes, um, so, which is probably going to be uh... it's like one of its biggest markets. So. It's, yeah, uh... and I do wonder what that will add to the conversation because I think there's probably nuances about it being a British movie that we will have missed. Yes. And it's very specifically British. Like, I think what I like about, you know, Claire Foy, I think is my favorite performance of the year. Like what I think when I think about her and I hear her talking, you, she's very specific, not just in emotionally specific, but also is just like, she's playing this woman who was born probably 1950 talks a certain way. And, you know, as somebody who spent a lot of time in the UK and in England, I know those people, you know, they're my mom's generation. Like my mom is not British, but 
Um, but we spend a lot of time in England when we were growing up and sort of, sort of, sort of like, it's very specific what she does. Also, Jamie Bell is. And so I think British people will, to your point, notice a lot of things that, yes, we probably won't notice. Um, it did really well on the, the BAFTA shortlist, so, or long list. So oh, I good. think that would be, that's a good read on it. Um, I was also looking up, yeah. it's only been in 120 theaters in the US. So mm very limited release still and it's it, it, it's expanding but very slowly yeah um how do you sense. think this will play at home do you think it will hit as hard as it did in the theater if this was Versus, a release during the I pandemic know. i feel like this would be a, a really it would have probably would have won this picture it's uh <laughs> it is That's what because it, it i think i think while it is very technically marvelous the scene when they're in a k-hole essentially like, mm-hmm. in yeah. the middle <laughs> yeah is actually is was is is uh an incredible thing to, to 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 see and hear um i think because some of it so much of it is like an intimate drama that is about feeling alone watching it at home alone mm-hmm. or even even with people would feel really impactful mm-hmm. um and if and it feels that i think it feels that genre of movies as therapy where um Actually, another reason I could come around on the movie too is I had dinner with a friend that recently just saw it and he purposefully went to the theater alone because he didn't want to. He knew it was just something that he would have to kind of experience mm-hmm. by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it would play, play really well at home. It feels like, yeah. it, it. I think Andrew Hay, um, it's maybe his most expansive movie, but mm-hmm. it's still mm-hmm. at the core, the, the same kind of, you know, talky dramas yeah. that, weekend and 45 years and looking mm-hmm. looking are um it's wild that this is third movie it feels like he's just been around I forever. Know. forever um i'm glad you brought the sort of visual thing the visual look of this film because i think it has to your point um a lot that you didn't see in andrew hayes other movie i think he sort of like expanded in this movie to do that keyholes that sort of like I think just visually, this movie is his most interesting movie. Um, and even, you know, the spaces in which these characters interact, like that eerie building that uh, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal are in, or even his apartment looks like, you know, like when you, when you, uh, Carl talked about limbo, like, yes, it, this totally could be limbo because it's very sparse, but also it could be a modern high rise and it could be somewhere in a big city like London. And so I think, and then the house is also very specific um, from a production design point of view. And and the costumes are just, you know, and then the soundtrack. So there are all, the soundtrack is very 1987, which is where the part, the, 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 the part with the parents happens, you know, the Pet Shop Boys and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and all of those sort of like 19, 1980s, mid-1980s big British bands. Um, and so I think it, like, there is a lot of salt that went into every every detail of this movie. And it also just really looks gorgeous. And to the point of you said about your friend going there, yeah, you are enveloped in sort of this atmosphere. Um, um, I, I haven't seen it. I've seen it four times, but I've seen it four times at the theater, you know. Um, that's, I'm taking privilege of being a critic invited to screenings and I've went <laughs> to four screenings. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, Izzy, yeah. what did you think of sort of like visually um, of this movie? Because I know you. Um... Yeah, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything both of you have said. I, I uh, 
think it was his visually his most interesting film especially the the k-hole scene because <laughs> i think some most of the time like i don't know about you but i feel like there's a very stereotypical way of portraying like we're on a drug trip and like sometimes <laughs> it's really dumb but this i loved the way that he edited it it was so surreal and like kaleidoscopic um in a way that didn't feel corny to me death of the party is like the perfect song for that um mm-hmm. just I mean, like thematically and also just kind of how moody, but also kind of invigorating that song is. Um, So, yeah, uh, I essentially just agree with everything you just said. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. I would like to see what he can do with even more like expansiveness, like if he can continue being as sensitive as he is in even gradually bigger scale. Mm hmm. And, if that makes sense. And we haven't talked about the sex, but we should mention that there is very frank sex scenes in this movie. So if you're one of those 18-year-olds who doesn't want to see sex in the film, this is not for you. Um, and I would say go have more sex, then come and talk about sex in the movies. Um, uh, but it is, there is no explicit sex, but it's intimate sex, right? Like, you know, the kiss, like I love that part of it where... Um, where he, he he sort of like chokes as they're kissing the Andrew Scott character and, and he's like I forgot to breathe and that's that's sort of like su- such an indicative way of like when you're so excited to be with someone that you forget your body forgets to function as properly as it should and then you know um I'm going to be very explicit for just a, li- a, a minute or two. Come is very important in gay male relationships. It's something that both men have and it becomes part of your expression whether what are you going to do with it when, you know, because it, it could go somewhere, but in most cases it doesn't. Um, and so there is that, what do you do with it? And this movie sort of answers that question. What do you do with it? Um, and also is just, I think that, um, comes from an understood, you know, like somebody who who's been through this and knows kind of how to film these and how to write about that. Um, and I think using sex as a as a plot point, you know, to the to uh, the chagrin of Gen Z, sex can be a, a plot point or you know a piece of character development. Yes, and I think in this movie, sex is a big part of Andrew Scott's character's development because it is it is intimacy. And I think for gay men, often there, or at least there's almost there's two two thoughts of it. There's Paul Mescal's character's thought where, where they first meet, and he's like, "Okay, I'm just gonna go into this man's apartment, and we're gonna uh, can I curse here? Yeah, of course. We <laughs> just talked like, about come, Carl. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there's kids listening to this podcast. <laughs> he's gonna go into to Andrew Scott's apartment, and they're gonna fuck, and it's just gonna be." You know, like it's going to be this thing that is meaningless. And I think for Andrew Scott, sex has meaning, even if it that meaning is just the fact that I, on some very base level, trust this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the scene in the bathtub when uh, Paul Mescal puts, you know, Andrew Scott in the bath and they're just kind of touching and just, you know, exploring. Mm-hmm. It's Andrew Scott's character's, um, ability to now be seen by Paul Mescal's character mm-hmm. in this full, full, you know, nakedness, uh, raw nakedness, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, is is a part of the, the the character's development, and I think, um, you even have that small line. He's you know, I'm I forget exactly what it is, but he's 
Paul Mescal says something about sex and Andrew Scott's like, you know, I'm little, you know, because, and then it's just this, this implication that, you know, the AIDS crisis and having that kind mm-hmm. of trauma still being a part of it. And so I think sex is actually a, um, a signal of trust uh, in a way that I think is distinctly queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew, he's always been so, so good at, at it. I think Weekend is another movie where the main character is similarly very um, uh, repressed. And so using having sex be something that is uh, not just done kind of like in the dark, in the shadows at night Mm -hmm. um, is a important development there. Uh, And as for Izzy points about expensive, I'm really, I I almost want to see Andrew Hay just do like a sci-fi. I want him to do like an arrival. (laughs) Like I think he would Uh... be... He would do so well with something like that. Yeah. Oh, um, so cool. Um, I, But also, I mean, I would add 45 years to that too, where they have like the sex scene where they're kind of trying to make it work, mm-hmm. but in the middle of this whole conflict of them wondering what they've really meant to each other all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and like sex in the middle of that is a very interesting question. Um, So yeah, that's, that's a really good call. Yeah. About, Another adding to his list of strengths. Yes. I mean, he's obviously someone who feels a lot in his relationships, whether with his, you know, pe- with, with whoever he, he has in his life. So, and that's really expressed in these movies that sort of touch these relationships. And just, you're like, there's so much recognition in his movies of things that a lot of us don't know how to express. And even his characters might not know how to express, yet his films express them. Um, and so I think that's sort of his superpower as a director. <laughs> totally. Um, so obviously, we I think, Carl, you have changed your opinion about this movie from mixed to all all gung ho, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm all in. I think you know if I if we're putting together you know our personal best of the years, I think it is it is one of the best movies of the year, and I think it's a it's a good argument for. I had this argument with somebody about they don't rewatch movies. Even if they like the movie, they won't rewatch it. And I think yeah. it just, it gives an argument to see why, to understand why people are moved by a movie. I think it's, yeah. Um, I, after, you know, you're just constantly hearing from people you respect, like both of you, that you, you saw something in it and you kind of want to see it too. And I think um, I've come around to, to understanding it. And then, you know, even in the past four months since I've seen it, my life has changed enough that I, even have now related to it in a different way. And I Mm -hmm. think um, that is um, a kind of a feather in its cap and why it's, I think, really, really an incredible thing. Yes. That's what I need to do with poor things. I need (laughs) to see it again. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. You're becoming more and more of a skeptic on poor things. I know, but that's why I need to see it again. Okay. Um, So we're going to move on to another movie you're a skeptic on. But if you're listening Mm -hmm. to this podcast, this is where you can, you know, this is where the spoiler part ends. Um, But we want to say that we all love all of us strangers. It's my number one film of the year. Go see it. It's only in 120 theaters. Thank you for the research, Carl. But it will open soon, especially if you're in the UK. Um, and before we do our Oscar wishes and mine is going to be about all of us strangers. Um, 
Uh, Izzy, you finally watched Oppenheimer, the movie that everybody's been talking about for God knows how long. And um, I suspected you would like it and you kind of did it, right? Well, I guess I'm, I'm mixed on it. Like I, um, I would say like, I don't know, three stars. That's pretty it's good. Fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say like, I think I'm thinking about it on two levels. One is like just the structural filmmaking aspect of it, which I think is like perfectly fine. Like, you know, putting together a good uh, thrilling film is what Christopher Nolan does best. So like, congratulations to him but then i also am thinking about it like i guess in the context of other films that have come out this year and some of the critical debate that's surrounded those and for and this is something that we sort of talked about Murtado, which is like i don't think oppenheimer has gotten the critical attention um or like the the debate about it hasn't been quite as rigorous as it has with Killers of the Flower Moon and um, Zone of Interest. I think all three are kind of doing similar things, which is like centering people who have committed an atrocity. Mm -hmm. And all of them are kind of successful to varying degrees and in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think something that kind of fundamentally rubs me the wrong way about Oppenheimer is that I think of those three films, it has the most respect for its subject. Oh yeah, absolutely. Of those three films, it has the most blockbuster in tone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think, well, to kind of give you context about what I was thinking about, my mindset going into the film was I've been talking a lot about zone of interest with some of my friends because some are really passionate about it. They love it. Mm-hmm. And some um, are really uncomfortable with it mm-hmm. because of this kind of idea, which I think a lot of people have, which is that any film about the Holocaust is like inherently kind of um, exploitative or it's like very difficult to even make a Holocaust film well because like how do you convey one of the worst things that's ever you know happened mm-hmm. <laughs> um or the event and, itself kind of does have the emotional sure. job for you yeah and so like with zone of interest it's interesting because you don't actually see a lot of the violence but like it's there and that's part of the conceit of it and i feel like it's kind of the same thing with oppenheimer where to me like <laughs> you don't see a lot of it and I know there was that there was that debate like early on in in it where it was like why aren't like there's their Japanese perspective isn't you know talked about and whatever and I think it sort of turned into like an identity politics debate yeah more mm-hmm. so than it like probably should have been but I, and then I a moral like that, quandary it should be a moral sure, question yeah, yeah, yeah. yes Yeah. And I do think like that isn't necessarily the way to frame it, but I did feel like the scale of that crime (laughs) that he committed (laughs) was sort of like not there enough. Like it it was interrogating this moral guilt on a personal level for something that is like, um, like almost inexplicable Yeah, to like talk Mm -hmm. about that. And so like, I'm, I just am so curious about how like, like, is it even possible to talk about American guilt for Hiroshima mm-hmm. and Nagasaki in a way that works? Like, I'm not sure that it is. Like, I don't even, I think it's like, it's just almost an impossible task without being completely exploitative. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's why we don't see a lot of, like, any images of what happened, because mm-hmm. it would feel exploitative if you did it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
But um, also the choice to like the only violence we kind of see him imagining is on a white American girl, like in yeah. his mind imagining yeah. it. Like it's all very strange to me. Um, and I, I just feel like the moral quandary of what he was going through hasn't quite been as picked apart as it maybe has for other yeah films. i agree with you and i would add that um it's morally very easy who to root for in this film this was my problem with it in that in the end it becomes about absolving him and sort of proving that he was after all good good-hearted whatever because the second part is about him being prosecuted for being a communist and you know about right. freedom of ideas and how that's what it is so and then we sort of forget a little bit kind of the yeah. other thing of it so morally it's very straightforward in that mm, he did it but he has guilt about it but also he was a good man and maybe but he, he was... did support labor unions so yes good guy, yeah. you know like so... i was sort of thrown off by <laughs> yeah. how much of it was about communism i was like why who cares he built yeah. a nuke like, yeah yeah, oh my yeah. God. it's the cinematic equivalent of thoughts and prayers <laughs> truly yes yeah. yeah, I don't know. It felt very like a trial of Chicago Seven for me, where I was just yeah. like, oh God, like, you know. And I think but I don't, I mean, it's just, it's not, I need to, Murtado, what you've been very good about teaching me about criticism is like, you take the film for what it is, like on its own terms as a piece of art. And I feel like on that level, it's fine. It's a good film. Mm -hmm. But on, a, like, if I were to make a film about this subject, this is absolutely not how I would approach it. So, <laughs> like, there's a political. <laughs> barrier to me enjoying it yes i hear you carl you were going to say something oh no i was just going to agree with izzy's point that i think nolan has way too much respect for oppenheimer and i think it's because he identifies with him in a way i think he sees himself as at, at the very base level what oppenheimer did was he did a thing because he could do it not understanding the implications of what that means and i think if you think about nolan as a filmmaker he'll do things because he can do it he'll put it like a fucking imax camera in like a fighter jet and you know to what end uh or like just didn't he just like destroy like a like a like a like a antique fighter jet to do something and like yeah totally like <laughs> and so um i think that's why and then and then during this award season People keep on saying like, oh, you're honoring this movie that's about, you know, um, warning against the evils of, you know, nuclear weapons. I was like, I don't think we need to, to be warned about it. I think we yeah. need to be warned about the people with it, <laughs> with the power, yeah. which this movie doesn't doesn't do or does kind of but not really like it doesn't actually, in my opinion, have much to say. No, it doesn't. No. And oh. but that's the thing. It's like Zone of Interest got that debate. Of like, why do we need another film? What are you saying? Yeah. Nazis are bad. Like, mm -hmm. we know that. Even though I think, like, that does it in a way that's different and valid on its own terms. Yeah. But, like, do we need this one either? <laughs> like, I don't and know. And I think it's, the zone of interest also puts a mirror to other things in our society that yeah. are not just, you know, Nazis are bad. Whereas Oppenheimer's putting a mirror to things in our society that we're kind of all on the same page on. <laughs> yeah uh and so it doesn't really i don't really know why it exists other than nolan wanted you know, to make it wanted to make to make the movie and Bombs. but to your point I, it's such a it's a really well-made movie and i think that's you know you have to take that for what it's worth yeah um mm -hmm. but i find the emotional 
like Albert Einstein being your emotional core of a movie, like that's just not going to like, it's not going to fly. It's just not going to work. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I really love what you said in that. What is it saying? Because I think this is how you make a blockbuster that earns gazillions of dollars in the box office and wins all the awards is that you make a movie where nobody has to think a lot. Like I think totally. the point you were making <laughs> yeah. with the zone of interest, we have to think a lot with Killers of the Flower Moon, we have to think about everything. And you're there for three and a half hours thinking, but with Oppenheimer, everything is clear. Morally, you know exactly where it is. It's I would say it's grayish, but it's very close to black and white. And there is never any question whose side you should be on or how this character makes you feel. You might feel something for them and you're like, oh, no, I shouldn't be feeling that. No, it's always clear what you should be feeling and you're feeling exactly what he wants you to feel. And that's why it made a gazillion dollars. And that's why it's going to win all the Oscars because complicated movies and with complex characters never do that. They do not make a billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was interesting monitoring my own feelings or emotions as a response to his filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, when the bomb first goes off, I mean, like his countdown and the way he really does that and you're feeling like the moment before the bomb is supposed to go off. I mean, that was like, like almost Spielbergian levels of tension to me. Like it was pretty good. Right. But then I was like, I felt uncomfortable with how kind of excited I was to see it go off. Does that make sense? Because you're just like, oh, no, like, <laughs> it's a nuke. Well, because you're, yeah, rooting, know, you're yeah. rooting for Oppenheimer for the first half of the movie. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And yeah. so and so it's and then it's like when you notice that you feel bad for him because he's like, oh, shit, I made a huge mistake. And it's like, you should feel bad. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just, I just I don't. Yeah. Like it's strange one film. of those one of those instances where I'm okay. Like make up a character that is gonna be like Oppenheimer. This is pretty bad. Like you know, yeah, right. right. It's even more obvious. <laughs> oh, but I was like screaming at the the actual identity politics things that he snuck in there, where they're like they're like, oh, the lady engineer. Like oh your, god, your, yeah, I know <laughs> your uterus is gonna get ruined. Or like they have the one the the guy that um Oppenheimer goes to visit, and he's like. Even if you're gay, you can make a bomb. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, go off. Believe in go yourself. Off, diva. You can do it too. <laughs> go diva. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think none of our wishes are going to be about Oppenheimer. Also because Oppenheimer is going to get nominated for every Oscar that it wants or needs and even others that it shouldn't. Hello, Emily Blunt. I love you, but that is not... Um, a performance that needs to be recognized with an Oscar nomination. Anyway, um, we are going to do two wishes for the Oscars um, because they are next week. And by the time you listen to this, um, they would be closer. So we'll do a wish that is within the realm of possibility, like maybe something that you think is number seven or number six or eight or whatever out of, you know, our, and then something that's completely out of, um, of the realm of possibility. I can start if, if you guys need a minute to think about. So within the realm of possibility is all of us strangers. That is my wish for it to be um, nominated for as many Oscars as it can. It made a good showing um, 
at the BAFTA long list, including Best Picture and Director and all four actors. So I'm not going to be as greedy as that. I'm just going to wish for, for three things. For Claire Foy as Best Supporting Actress, because I think there is no one better than her um, this year. Sorry, um, Julianne Moore. Sorry, Penelope Cruz. But that's my vote. Um, and then... Andrew Hayes should be recognized, I think, for his writing, because that's also within the realm of possibility. I don't think he's going to be not recognized for his direction, but adapted screenplay, possible. Um, and the third, just best picture. So uh, that's those are my realm of possibility. Um, the other one that's Spy in the Sky, Tiana Taylor in 1001, a beautiful movie I saw um, almost a year ago now at Sundance, and it opened in March, and she gives one of those debut performances that you look at somebody, you're like, where have you been all my life, um, and how can you command the screen in your first um, you know, outing as an actor and carry a whole movie on your shoulders and give this blistering, emotionally uh, potent performance. She is wonderful and um, she should um, be up there with Sandra Huller and everybody else should um, be behind them in Best Actress. Anyway, so those are my two, um, my two Oscar things. Who wants to go next? Uh, I can go because mine's really easy. And that is May, December for anything, <laughs> anything. I think maybe Sammy Birch will get a nomination for original screenplay, but yeah. anyone else, uh, Todd Haynes, maybe um, <laughs> Julianne Moore, Charles Melton, like, please, any of them. Yeah. That that, that's what that is. Second that. <laughs> so what's your pie in the sky one? Oh, pine. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would love to see Andrew Scott get nominated. I would love to see Franz Rogowski get nominated too. For passages, yeah, best actor. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, we should just. They should let us nominate the Oscars. What about you, Carl? <laughs> I know. T. Um, I support Tiana Taylor and all the May December uh people getting in. I think that's those are. Tiana Taylor is my personal pick for best actress has been since I've seen a thousand and one. Um, and May, December is my second favorite movie of the year um, for uh, in the realm of possibility. Uh, I would love to see TOU sneak mm. into best actor. I don't even know if that's realm of possibility cool. to be honest, but um, well, his I, movie is definitely getting him best his, picture. Ex yeah, yeah, exactly. And he could honestly get into BAFTA because of the way that we're the weird way that they vote. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Greta Lee, but I think that movie doesn't work without that really emotionally repressed performance mm -hmm. uh, really? to be a foil to her. Yeah, I agree. Um, and also shout out to John Magaro. It's just He's wonderful, yeah. Consistent perfect, king. Consistent king, perfect white husband, great. Um, um, and I just want to add something to this. This is the this thing with the Oscars, is that when a movie is about a relationship, especially a love relationship, unless it's a gay relationship with men, like all of us strangers, if there is a woman involved and it's a straight relationship, the actress will get the awards and the men totally. never do it. I mean, it's the one thing where the men are kind of like, it happened with 45 years too, where the men are at a disadvantage is just like do everything else, but please don't fall in love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because men can get awards for real movies like Oppenheimer <laughs> and women don't. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, um, and my, uh, my like out of 
my you know uh crazy one is uh koji akusho for perfect days uh oh. in best actor uh i think i mean it's it's probably going to get into international feature but i think he is so so incredible mm-hmm. um and is part of the the way the reason that movie works mm-hmm. um monster would have honestly been my other my my other pie in the sky but oh, it's not even that. on the short list so yeah, yeah. it's not can't happen can't happen at all monster is beautiful i loved it so much um and i will just say this i wrote about the so if you're an actor and listening to this and you're subscribed to backstage magazine i wrote in the special sag issue about the ensemble in monster and how they deserve to win that award um so pick that up um, I think I agree with Carl and with Izzy, and I think the Academy should call the three of us and tell us um, before next Tuesday, you can choose all the nominees. Um, and I think we yeah. will do a much better job than the Academy. <laughs> yeah. And Democracy at its finest. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, tell us what are your wishes for um, the Oscars and... Uh, Carl, before you go, before we all go, not you, um, I just want to thank you for coming and for giving us your humor and insight. We love talking to you. This was so wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Love you both. Um, my, you can find me on uh, all social platforms at Carl underscore Dello. It's K-A-R-L underscore d-e-l-o and you can find all my work there i talk a lot on twitter so you'll find me (laughs) and you can find and follow the show on twitter and instagram at i am picture show i'm on twitter at me underscore says on instagram at mortada underscore e and i'm bk rewind on twitter bk underscore rewind on instagram and until next time thank you for listening